Now, um, I'm really excited about today, about week number three of our series, Made to Worship. Um, if you did not hear, we're going to be in the book of Psalm uh, chapter 40, chapter 40, and uh, we're going to be talking about the power, the power of worship today. Now, um, there was quite some time ago, um, I, I'm, a, I'm the nerdy guy that likes to watch the History Channel and the Discovery Channel, anybody else with me? Um, I like shows like how it's made, and I want to see the science behind things. And I love when they discover uh, like new species of fish in in the sea. Like the, those things are just very interesting to me. And so several several years ago, probably now, um, I was watching the Discovery Channel, and I was uh, I turned it on, and there was a documentary going on about uh, Yellowstone National Park. Has anyone ever been to Yellowstone before? So the, the whole objective of this documentary was to look at uh, the geyser old faithful. Now, for those of you who, uh, who may not know this, Yellowstone is a geological hotbed with hundreds and hundreds of geysers and uh, in hot springs. One of the first stops, though, in the scenic wilderness by this film crew is, is the geyser affectionately known as Old Faithful. Old Faithful. Now, the, the film crew uh, was going there simply because uh, Old Faithful is the most visited of all geysers for one simple reason, where it gets its name. It's Faithful. It is the Faithful geyser. It is not the tallest nor the most beautiful, but it's the most faithful. Presently today, in 2021, one can count on Old Faithful erupting every 80 minutes. Every 80 minutes, Old Faithful erupts. Now, the National Park Service uh, took and, and made a huge boardwalk around Old Faithful. And on one side of that boardwalk, there are benches. And on the other side, it's standing room only. The reason they did that is because uh, when the geyser explodes, all of the water sprays to one side. So if you haven't taken a shower, you can go to Old Faithful and get one every 80 minutes. And so I'm watching this documentary about this geyser. And the film crew is, is about 78 minutes prior to the geyser uh, getting ready to, to blow. And they're watching and explaining different things that are going on in the picture. Well, then all of a sudden, you start to see people in the background. And they begin to show up. And, and, and families come. And they begin to sit on benches. And, and the entire boardwalk begins to fill. And people come late, just moments before the geyser will blow. And there's nowhere else to stand or sit. And so they're trying to see over people. And you hear the commentator speaking about the, the, the droves of people that will come every 80 minutes. There are more people that show up. And, and so they're, they're sitting here, and you're, you're seeing this beautiful scene of this boardwalk and all of these people and all of the historic hotels and the gift shops that fan out from this geyser. And as the time got closer, people were waiting with their cameras ready as though they are weapons looking at this famous hole in the ground. The moment comes, or at least they thought, when the steam begins to rise from the hole in the ground and it begins to sputter and then all of a sudden, a moment later, it just ceases. But not a split second later, it begins to sputter again. And then all of the sudden, all of the sudden, you see a spray of water that fountains from the earth over a hundred feet into the air. 
And the, the film crew pans from one side of the screen to the other. And everyone is standing in awe. Their eyes are almost popping from their heads. Their jaws are dropped. There's a sense of wonder that filled the entire group of people, hundreds of people that encircled Old Faithful. They were spellbound. They were witnessing for just a moment this water perform its magic and then quietly return to the earth. The supply of water would be depleted and then 80 minutes later it would be filled and ready to happen again. And a new group of onlookers would be there, prepared to witness this awe-inspiring event. I noticed something as I was watching that documentary that day. The onlookers displayed a sense of awe that was a worship-like quality. A sense of awe They witnessed something powerful, something that was beyond themselves, something that many would not even be able to explain. There was a sense of reverence from the people as they began to return to their cars or they went to the gift shops knowing that they just witnessed something spectacular. And that's the same dynamic that occurs when we worship God. Or must I say, That's the same dynamic that should occur when we worship God. Should occur. We ought to witness the spectacular hand of God. We are supposed to witness something that is beyond ourselves. We are to be in awe, spellbound, mesmerized by the life-giving, life-flowing power of God. And oftentimes in churches we're not. We're not even prepared to see it. But we should then be motivated to tell other people about the same power that we have witnessed. What Old Faithful does to the tourists of Yellowstone, our worship of of God should do to our circle of influence. People should be in awe of what they see and they witness in us as we live a life that seeks to follow God. I want to read a passage of scripture that talks about that very thing. About what happens when there's authentic and genuine worship in the life of a believer. Psalm 40, verse 1. David is writing here, and he says, I I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined his ear to me, and he heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog. Anyone resonate with that? And he says, and he set my feet upon a rock, and he made my steps secure. Listen to this. David says, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Verse 4, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. But verse 5, you have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us, and none can compare to you. And I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more that can be 
And this is God's word for us today. Let's pray. God, we ask of you right now to illuminate these five verses before. Show us the power that comes from worship. Help us not to sit in this place and be sponges. The, the people who just absorb and walk away and don't do anything with the living water. God, I'm asking of you right now to make your presence known as truth is spoken, that people would grasp something fresh and new from you today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. David here is speaking of two elements about worship in this text. And so the first one is found in verse number three. I want you to look back at verse number three with me. And he says, he put a new song in my mouth and a song of praise to our God. Many will fear, sorry, will see in fear and put their trust in the Lord. So the first thing I want us to see this morning is the celebration. The celebration, which is the vertical dimension. My connectivity with God. God and David had a moment of experience. David was in the presence of God. God had rescued him. He had refreshed him. And he was then changed. And David could not sit and be silent about it. How many of you have ever had an experience with God and you wanted to tell somebody as soon as it was over? Anybody? I've had moments in my life where I saw a breakthrough of something that I was praying and praying and praying for. And I felt like, God, you're not answering me in this moment. And yet God was just saying, be patient, Josh. Be patient. And when the breakthrough happened, I wanted to tell people who were believers so they would resonate with what was going on in my spirit. But then it also drove me to tell people who were not believers that were struggling with the same exact thing. Why? Because guess what? I found rest. I found rest in my turmoil, in my struggle. David is, I want to sing praise to God. He put a new song in my mouth. Not an old one, not a familiar one, not a used one. A new song was in my mouth because I was in God's presence. It was a hymn of praise to our God. He was exuberant about it in his song. He wanted, he wanted to worship God. He was excited. And he could not contain his joy because he had found rest and relief. He had to shout. He had to sing. All of the chapters of this book here in Psalms were meant to be sung. They were meant to be sung in different seasons of life. Do you know our English word sing or singing is mentioned explicitly 68 times in the book of Psalm alone. 68 times does it say it. Just in one book. It's no wonder why Henry Wadsworth Longfellow said that the human voice was the organ of the soul. There was a new song in which David was singing. There was a freshness and a newness in his experience with God. It was almost as if David was experiencing God for the first time all over again. It was like I've been told by people who have visited, like seeing Old Faithful erupt every time brings awe. Every single time. Amazement, entrancement, and you want to see it and experience it again and again and again. 
But David was not, was not just exuberant in his song of praise. He was worshiping God. David was expressing a song of gratitude for God for who he was and who, who he is and what he said and what he was doing and what he was going to do. David knew that the source of what was going on in his life was nothing other than from God. He knew that it didn't come from one of his wives or from the riches or from the spoils of war. He knew it only came from the life-giving power of God, the God, the one true God, the celebration. Celebration. The second thing I want us to see, though, is the certification. This is the horizontal dimension of worship, the horizontal. Now, before you, you're asked, what is that supposed to mean? I'll explain. Just as though there is a vertical dimension to worship, there is a horizontal one. David said in this passage of scripture, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Many will see and fear. But look at the end of verse number five. He says, I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. More than can be told. David is saying, I'm going to tell people about what you have done. They did not merely hear his praise, but they saw him praising. David was not doing so in a prideful way, like, look at me, I'm praising God. His life was just like Daniel's. Do you remember when I talked to you about Daniel just a few weeks ago? I said that Daniel lived a life of predictable holiness. That was exactly what was In that moment of time, people did not just witness him singing loudly. They saw his lifestyle that modeled a worshiper and a love for Jesus Christ. That's what that was. David's joy before the Lord was his witness. His joy before the Lord was his witness. You know that we don't just worship at church. We, we worship with our attitude and our activity, and it should be constant. It should be always what we are about. Yes, at church we do gather publicly and corporately to worship. And when the church gathers to worship, it also is gathering to be a witness to the people around it. I want you to, to write this down and do not forget it. Worship always contains witness. Worship always contains witness. When people far from God hear people close to God give a heartfelt praise, they see heartfelt praise, they're intrigued. What is different about this person? It's like wanting to see old faithful They've, they've seen it and they've told people about it. Now I want to experience it for myself. There's a mystery and a wonder and a marvel that occurs and questions begin to ask, what happened to this person? Why are they like this? Sparks from a fire of our worship ignite dry hearts and it caused people to want to come and sing new songs and seek after the God who saves. 
And when that happens, when witness happens, you see two things that, that come with it. Products that I would call of worship. The, the, the thing that I want us to see next is that spiritually lost people are drawn to Christ through worship. That's what happens. Lost people are drawn to Christ. Worship attracts like a magnet. It draws people to Christ. You know, Paul told the church at Corinth to worship in such a way that it was clear that even if an unbeliever walked in, this was what would happen. Look at this verse on the screen. It says, he is convicted by all and is judged by all, and the secrets of his heart will be revealed, and as a result, he will fall face down and worship God, proclaiming God is really among you. That is what Paul is telling the church what will happen if a non-believer was in your presence. That's what should happen, is that they would feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit just because of the way that you walk and talk. And when that, the Spirit convicts, what happens? That person responds in such a way that they fall down because they know that God is real. They know it. Even Jesus, look at this next verse. Jesus himself said, as for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Yes, in this very moment of time, Jesus is speaking about and predicting his death. But he is communicating volumes to us about worship. He is saying, when I am lifted up in praise and worship, lost people will be drawn to me. I believe David himself even cited evangelistic attraction of honest worship. Look at this next verse. It says, I will praise you, Lord, among the peoples, and I will sing praises to you amongst the nations. When God's people experience the presence of God, when they meet God, when they engage the heart, lives are changed, and consequently lost people will be drawn to him. Do you know the unbeliever wants, wants what the believer has? Do you know that? The unbeliever wants what the believer has. Why? Because we were created as worship beings. If you're not worshiping God, you're worshiping something else. And if it's something else, you will always be empty. It will always run dry. You will always be tired. You will always be weak. Because there's only one and only one thing that can fill you all the way completely that never runs dry. And that's Jesus Christ. The world will sit up and take notice of our worship. How many of you in here know the, the name William Booth? William Booth was the founder of the Salvation Army. He had a phrase in which he used to say to people all the time. He would say that if and when the church catches fire, people will come from all around to watch it burn. Watch it burn. There's an intriguing mystery that is, that is occurring. And the Bible teaches us over and over again that God would draw people to himself through authentic worship from his people. You know, if you walk away with nothing else today, I want you to know something. I want you to hear something from me. 
I love being able to sit with unbelievers and have conversations with them about what they believe and why they believe it or things that they believe against the Bible or why they're an atheist or why they're an agnostic why do I why do I follow Buddhism or mysticism why do I do that and I, I love to sit with these people and have these conversations with them so one, I can hear their point of view, but one so that I can also give an answer for the hope that I have inside of me. But I want you to know something, church. I, just, I need you to know a couple of things. More people are drawn to Christ by experiencing the power of him through worship than any theological argument and apologetical argument that you have or that you could ever make. More people are drawn to Christ because the Spirit is convicting them. You do nothing to save the soul of another person. Nothing at all. It doesn't matter how much Bible you know. It does not matter how smarter you, how much more smarter than you are than the next person. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 55 years of your life and you've experienced every single thing talked about in the Bible. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts. And God uses you as the vessel and your life should resemble Christ. And when it does, people will be drawn to him. You do not need to argue your point before another person who is an unbeliever to get them to believe God's word. God's word is enough to draw people into him. He doesn't need you. He doesn't even need me. He he allows me to speak his word. I get to do this because he has given me that gift. But we as believers are to walk the walk when we exit this building. And people will see something different about our lives. And it will draw them to Christ. So stop the theological arguments. Just stop. Few people are converted to Christ on intellectual grounds alone. Few, if any. that the sense of God's presence will melt hearts. It will explode minds. Because that's who he is. Perfect, loving, kind, just, merciful, all at the same time. I want you to think with me for a moment over the last couple hundred of years. Bible scholars in this room. I've read book after book after book after commentary after commentary after commentary on the revivals that have occurred in our, our country and in our world. And in the beginning of those revivals, th th those meetings were designed to inspire believers but they were meant to impact unbelievers. Those meetings that occurred, the revivals that occurred all across the world, people were drawn to exuberant worship. People were attracted to the authenticity of believers and the power that God used through the preacher. And what happened? Time and time and time again, lost and depraved people would come to the altar after the preacher was finished and they would dedicate and give their lives to Christ and give everything up 
And they would walk away changed, different people. I've talked to pastor after pastor after church leader after church leader, and so many people tell me we just need revivals. We just need revivals. No, I would suggest that we just need to have the power of worship in our churches again. Revival will never come if we don't allow God's power to work in and through us. I would love for Ionia to be flipped upside down, not even understanding what happened to them because of the power of God. I prayed every day leading up to the moment in which I got the call that the vote was going to happen for me to come here. And I prayed that God would do something in this church and that it would pour out into our community because people need to know that there is hope. People need to know that God loves them, but God doesn't want them to stay where they're at. God wants them changed. And it starts with worship. It starts with our worship. Unbelievers may not understand all that happens here in this building. And non-believers may not understand the significance of a song or a prayer or communion or baptism, but they know joy when they see it. And they know peace. And they, they know patience. They know love. They know faithfulness. They know gentleness. They know when lives are impacted and they can read about when lives were changed. And when they do that, they want what those people have. But I want you to know that the opposite is equally true. The opposite of that is equally true. What happens when a spiritually distant person sees boredom on the face of a worshiper? I want you to think about that. What happens when a distant worshiper, a non-believer, sees boredom? What happens if they see scowls? What if, they, what if they see the people who are yawning? What if they see the people who don't have their Bible? What if they see the people who are in church disengaged? What are, what are, you, what are you saying? Parent? Grandparent? Aunt? Uncle? Friend? What does your demeanor in worship speak to other people? What does it speak? Because people are watching. People are watching. Don't forget it. Do they see someone who is prepared to seek the face of the Father? Or do they see someone who's prepared to worship like they go on vacation, rushing at the last moment? Do they see a hungry people ready to arrive, to experience God? Spiritually lost people will be drawn because of worship. But then there's also something for you as believers. David doesn't let the follower of Christ off the hook. David tells us that saved people are called out to share Christ. Saved people are called out to share Christ. 
through worship, lost people are drawn to Christ. But at the same time, believers should experience the tug, the urge, and the compelling force of God to tell other people about him. If you take just a brief moment and review the entirety of the Bible from beginning to end, it is revealed multiple times that there is a correlation between people encountering God through worship and the effect that it had on their lives. I want to share just a couple of examples with you of this happening. I mentioned this passage of scripture in the last two weeks, and it's Isaiah chapter 6. The verse is going to come to the screen. It says that I saw the Lord seated on the high and lofty throne, and his robe was filled in the temple. That was verse number 1. Then it picks up in verse number 5 and says that my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now look what happens in verse number 8. The experience has already happened. He's already fallen on his face before God. Now listen, and then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, who should I send and who will go for me? And what was Isaiah's response after the worship? Here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. Isaiah was commissioned to go and speak to the people only after he had worshipped God. He experienced God through worship. Isaiah saw, he heard And he responded. Do you know that if if Isaiah had not entered into worship, he could have missed the call that God had on his life? He could have missed the call. I reflect back to the moment in my life when God broke me of everything. I knew that God had placed the call on my life to become a pastor, and I wanted to run as far away as... I felt like Jonah. I wanted to get away as far as I could, because that's not what I wanted for my life. But the moment when I entered into authentic and genuine worship before God, something broke in my life. I saw, I heard, and I responded, and I've not turned back since. And God has blessed me and my family more in this life just for obedience. And it's not always been easy, people. The Christian life is hard. Don't ever, ever think that this life is going to be puppies and candy canes. Because it won't. Suffering is a part of the Christian life. Go and, and read the entire book of 1 Peter. It's all about Christian suffering. But there was, there was a response. A response. What about this? This next passage. Everyone is so familiar with this, they miss something. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. It says the disciples traveled to Galilee and, and they went to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. And it says, and then Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. And what happens? He says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the earth. Listen, the Great Commission is the church's heartbeat for existence. We are told that believers are to go to the church to learn the ministry, to be equipped. But then we are to go, but the going is not all we do. So many churches get stuck in evangelism alone. 
We are to evangelize, but then it says to make disciples, teaching them discipleship, people, discipleship. Evangelism and discipleship, the Siamese twins of the Christian life. You cannot take one without the other because you will fail. You will fail. But I want you to notice something. Will you go back to the first portion of that verse? It says that they went to the mountain where Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, what did they do? I'm sorry? They worshipped him. There was a worship experience, an encounter that took place before they were sent. The Great Commission was given following a time of worship. The disciples saw him. They worshiped him. So church, let me ask you a question. Should that not be our response too? Should that not be our response When we worship at home in private, when we come here on Sundays to gather, we are worshiping God. Should we not be ones that step outside to go and make disciples? Here's the point. It was in that context of worship that these men received a clear call to go and represent Christ to go church I want to challenge you with something today when you go home I would I would challenge I would urge I would encourage you to go and read Acts chapter 2 go and read Acts chapter 2 You know, on the day of Pentecost, it was the sound of eternal worship that sprang forth from the invaded room in which the disciples found themselves. Luke described it as a rushing wind. The awesome, the beautiful sound heard by God-fearing Jews from every nation who thought that these disciples were drunk. They thought that they were crazy, stupid, drunk. But they were speaking the magnificent gifts and acts of God. Go back and read Acts chapter 2 verse 11. And you could say that in that moment, those 120 disciples were singing a new song. And as a result, as a result, I would go as far as to say that their trust of God led 3,000 people. It was an accidental evangelism because they were worshiping. The disciples worshiped. The people heard it. They saw it. And they responded. Just like Isaiah. Just like the disciples. The book of Acts records it as well. Evangelism springs from worship. Discipleship springs from worship. Unbelievers were drawn to Christ through the disciples' worship, and in turn, their worship compelled others. It compelled them. The wholehearted worshipers called the whole world to wholehearted worship. The wholehearted worshipers called the whole world to wholehearted worship. That's all they were doing. That's it. It's almost as if to say that if we truly meet God, 
we will worship. And if you truly worship, others will be drawn to God. And as they're drawn to God, they will begin to witness. But there are two challenges that David also gave to us. Challenges for the believer. Challenges to the unbeliever. So what can we do? Where do we go? Well, the first thing that you need to do is to come to celebrate. Come to celebrate. We are to lay aside our troubles, our anxieties, our fears, our cares to God. We are to celebrate the gift of mercy and grace. Church, when was the last time you celebrated God's touch of forgiveness in your life? When was the last time you celebrated the power that lifted you out of the miry clay, the dirt and the grime? When was the last time you thanked God, you worshipped and you praised for His provision of setting your feet on solid rock? He put a new song in my mouth. A hymn of praise to God. So come to celebrate. And then convey your experiences to others. Convey your experiences to others. You know, worshipers don't just enjoy God's wonderful presence for themselves. We should invite people to join us in worship. We, we should. We should call others to join us on our mountaintop experiences. We should have people surrounded with us to come into God's presence with us when we stand before the throne. So church... Where are you on this worship journey? Where are you? Are you being drawn to Christ? Great. You're a worshiper. But you may be on one side in here this morning. You may be on one side of worship where you have not accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. And at some point, you need to cross that line of faith. At some point, maybe you already have crossed that line of faith, though. So then the question I would ask you, are you telling others about Christ? Are you going and making disciples? Are you inviting people into the presence of God? I want to let you in on just a little bit of a secret here. This may shock some of you, but God wants you to live on both sides of the word worship. He wants you to be drawn to himself, to, to genuinely worship. But here's the kicker. God doesn't want you to stay there. God does not want you to stay every Sunday here with, with your bottoms planted in these chairs. God is sending us out. God is sending us out. And if you only stay, if you only stay on the left side of worship, if you're just the sponge, the one who takes it all in, you're being disobedient. 
we were commanded by Jesus himself to go and to make disciples. I want you guys to know um, there was a, a worship leader, an older gentleman, his name was Garrett Gustafson, and he used to tell his, his praise team that worship is the goal of evangelism, and evangelism is the fruit of worship. I'm going to say it again. Worship is the goal of evangelism, and evangelism is the fruit of worship. He used to tell his praise teams that what they're doing on this stage is help ushering in the presence of God into this place. And he said, it's never about us. It's about getting out of the way and allowing God to have his way. Think about all those people that show up to Yellowstone National Park. They, they see Old Faithful. They bask in its glory and its splendor. But then they, they have to go home. They, they don't live on the boardwalk around that geyser. They, they want to go and tell people about their experience because they were mesmerized. Just as it is when we experience God. We should want to tell other people about it. Be a worshiper, yes. But a witness, you must. I always think back about the woman at the well. Pretty sure that this church's name came from that portion of Scripture. And I love the example that we have in this woman, a sinner, experiencing Jesus Christ. And her initial response was to go and tell people. But not just to tell them, but she brought them back. Come and see with me. You've got to experience this. She brought them back. And what did Jesus say to his disciples? The fields are white unto harvest. They're ready. People are ready for God. But who's to know the truth if someone doesn't tell them? I just want to close with this one last thing. Just recently... Um, I was at a store here locally, and I ran into um, a young lady who I went to school with, and um, we got to talk, and we struck up a conversation about our life, and she tells me all of these things that had occurred, um, all of this pain in her life. And how she struggled, and her parents got a divorce, and all of these, just this nightmare for the last 15 years. And I didn't even want to tell her when she asked me, so how's things going in your life? And there was this part of me that almost wanted to shy away from, from what God's been doing in my life, not because I didn't want her to know, but because... I didn't want to say, well, my life's been splendid. 
But the Holy Spirit just began to convict me in that moment of time as I stood before this lady and I told her, I said, Leah, I'm really sorry. But God has been good to me and my family because I've been obedient to him. And right now, I said, I'm a pastor at a church in Ionia. And it's not been easy and it's been hard. And my marriage has been hard and it's been hard being a parent to children and trying to know what's right and what's wrong. It's hard to be a friend and always do the right thing. It's hard to not let people down. It's hard to not say the wrong things. But God has blessed our obedience and he's been faithful. And I said, and I don't know where you're at anymore, but I want you to know that God has never left you and you can still turn back to him right now in this moment. And though she walked away and she didn't say anything else about it, all she said to me was, thanks, Josh. God knew I was going to run into you today at Meyer. I have not seen her since I left Michigan halfway through my junior year of high school in 2005. God has called every single one of us as believers to share the hope by the way that we live our life. And when we have encounters, God-ordained encounters with people, share your experience. Convey to people how great awesome our God is. So church, who's ready for this next step in our worship journey? Who's ready to say, here I am. Send me. Send me. I just want you to ponder that today when you go home. Go back and read Acts chapter 2 and ponder the question, am I ready to be sent into my community, into my workplace by God? Let's pray. God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your loving kindness, for your mercy, for your grace that you give to us when we stray, when we walk away, when we are disobedient, when we do not follow. So God, I'm asking right now in this place that hearts would be stirred. That people would want to go, to be sent out to their circles of influence. Not just so that we get increased numbers here in our church, but so lost and dying people get to go to heaven. God, I ask right now for conviction to linger on those who have not been a witness. That good works would be stirred up because your word went forth. Holy Spirit, come. Invade us invade this space, invade our homes, invade our rides to and from places. God, invade our very presence and our nature so when we are out in our community, people see something different. 
make your presence known to those in our community who are lost, who have, who have lost their way, who have no hope. And that when our people walk outside, when restores people, when other churches in this community, people, when they walk out, they see Jesus. This is not about our agenda, God, and I pray that we never, ever have that thought. But that your agenda and your will is constant before us, every step, every moment, every move. God, we are made to worship. So bring that forth in us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And amen. Now, real quick, before you are sent, um, just wanted to share something very quick with you. Um, for the last several weeks, we have been telling you as a church that we were supposed to have a new worship pastor here uh, with us today. And he was coming in uh, to meet the church, to be able to lead worship before us. And we brought him in earlier uh, in the week, so we had an opportunity to connect one-on-one, -on -one, not over a computer screen or over a telephone. And as those meetings went on, there were some things, some questions that began to be raised uh, from communication that was differing uh, from the, the interviews and the interview process in which occurred. And the more that I thought and prayed and sought counsel uh, from different people, um, I knew that I knew that I knew that I would not be able to move forward with that specific individual here in our church. There were some doctrinal issues that did not align with where we are, where the Wesleyan Church is, and there was no way that I, as your lead pastor, would be able to bring in someone who could have caused discord and disunity here in this body. I, as your lead pastor, love each and every family here and online, and I want you to know that God has placed me here not only to lead you and lead you well, but to ensure that our church is unified under God's word. And so because of that church, I understand that this may cause some frustration, hurt, even pain that brings up past things that have occurred here. But I want you to know that I'm here for you. I'm not going anywhere. You can come and talk to me. I would love to sit with you if you're struggling with this. But I need you to know more than anything at all, I'm to protect you as my flock. God has given you to me. And I want to ensure that Satan has no foothold here at the well. None, not even the slightest. And so please know that I will always do everything that I can to step forward on the convictions in which the Holy Spirit gives to me. I know that I love you, and in God's perfect time, someone will step into that role to serve and co-labor alongside of myself and our leadership team and our prayer team to lead this church closer and closer to the Lord. And so church, with that being said, I want you to know that I love you and I'm praying for you. And you are sent.